Well, good morning. Welcome, and uh, so glad that uh, you are worshiping here with us this morning uh, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Peter. If you're just joining us, uh, just to give you kind of a brief recap, in chapter 1, we discovered some amazing, wonderful truths that that God has, has blessed us. And he has blessed us through the resurrection of Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, uh, and, and, and uh, kept in heaven for us. And we're told a little bit later in the chapter that just as God is holy, we are to be holy. And then we learned in chapter 2 that as God's chosen people, as living stones, as a holy and royal priesthood, and as sojourners and exiles, that our lives should look radically different from those who are not redeemed. And Peter, of course, kind of unpacked for us a little bit of what that looked like. Um, But the reality is, is that Christians as aliens and strangers will look strange, will look odd as we choose God's will over our own, as we choose the good of others over our own agendas and our own desires, and as we submit to the authorities that God has put in place, including those that are unjust. In chapter 3, Peter extends this principle of submission uh, to authority in the world to the home, specifically in the husband and wife relationship. So I have the joy of tackling yet another controversial topic uh, this morning. It shouldn't be controversial. God's word should stand on its own merits. And... um, and just in case uh, you, know, you, you are new and you're not sure what to expect here at New Life, let me assure you, um, we are not about tickling people's ears. We're about proclaiming God's truth. Um, that's what transforms our lives. And so uh, let's pray, commit this time to the Lord, and, and ask Him, uh, even as uh, was prayed already, that God would reveal to us the things that He wants to reveal to us this morning. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this opportunity to open up Your Word. And Father, we confess we come to it right out of the gate with hearts that are prone to wander. Lord, we're, we're, we're prone to seek our own will, our own agendas, our own pleasures. And Lord, we find it at times difficult to submit to you. So this morning, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would do a deep work in us, that you would open up our eyes and our ears, that we might see and hear the things that you would have us see and hear. But but more than just gaining more knowledge and more understanding of you and your word, Lord, I pray that you would grant us a heart of obedience, that we would not be disobedient, that we would not be rebellious, that we would desire you and your will in our life above all else. And Lord, I pray that you would receive all the glory. And in our obedience, Father, I pray that you would bless us, bless us beyond measure. Be our teacher here this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A woman 
took her husband to the doctor's office uh, because he wasn't feeling very well. And after the checkup, the doctor told the wife, your husband is suffering from a very serious infection. The husband, who was hard of hearing, said, what did he say? His wife said, he says you're sick. The doctor went on, but there is hope, he said. You just need to reduce his stress. Each morning, give him a healthy breakfast. Be pleasant, nice, and kind. And for lunch and dinner, make him his favorite meal. Don't discuss problems with him. It will only make his stress worse. Don't yell at him or argue with him. And most importantly, just cater to your husband's every whim. If you can do this for your husband, for the next six months to a year, I think your husband will have a complete recovery. The husband said, what did he say? His wife said, he says you're going to die. <laughs> Apparently, that relationship wasn't as healthy as it could have been, and the advice wasn't as good as it should have been either. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, we actually get some very good advice related to marriage. And um, uh, I, I know that whenever you ta tackle a topic like that, you've got a mixed audience. Um, we've got youngins, we've got senior citizens, we have divorcees, and we have singles, and, and everything in between. And so all I can say is that as we go through Scripture, I, you know, we, we preach what's there. And this morning, we're going to be talking about husbands and wives predominantly. But I trust that whether you are unmarried, um, having been married once but not being not married now, um, or just really, really young, there are principles here that we can apply to our lives, especially those of you that one day hope to be married is what Peter says here to husbands and wives, you should take to heart now. You should be thinking about, this is what God says about me as a husband or a wife and how I'm to live. So don't wait until the day you, know, you walk down the aisle because it'll be too late by then. You need to work on this stuff now. For others of us, it's simply a continuation of the, the principles and the commands that Peter has already shared with us concerning submission to authorities in the government, whether it was the employee-employer the relationship, master-slave relationship. So I trust the Holy Spirit will take what we look at this morning and help you apply it to your life. Now, having said that, I think I do need to define marriage. Because we are living in a day and age where even, even that is up in the air. It can be just about anything you want it to be with anybody you want it to be with. And, and I love um, a definition that John Stott gave, although in looking at it, I felt like it was incomplete. And so uh, John and I worked together on this. Um, I think I'll, I'll share it with you uh, now. And I'm going to turn on my little remote, make sure it works. But this is it. Marriage is an exclusive, lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. Stress that, one man and one woman 
made in the presence of God and other witnesses, preceded by the leaving of parents, usually consummated in sexual union and normally crowned with the gift of children. It is a divine institution designed to promote human happiness and holiness. Marriage reflects the unity of the Godhead and ultimately points to the union of Christ and his church. You see, marriage is a picture. It is a symbol, a representation of a greater reality. And that is the relationship between Christ and his church. In Ephesians chapter 5, the the apostle Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is very, very important for us to understand because marriage was not instituted primarily for our happiness. It was instituted for our holiness. It was instituted so that it might represent the relationship of Christ in his church to the world. That that Jesus Christ would be seen as a real God in the world because they saw him reflected in the relationship of a husband and a wife. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. And as we, as we go there, um, we're going to see that wives should be submissive to their husbands and husbands should live with their wives in an understanding way honoring them as fellow heirs of the grace of life. So I'd like to look just at the very first part of verse 1 where Paul says, likewise, likewise. See, Paul, excuse me, Peter is now um, broadening the principles that he has already enumerated in chapter 2 about his exhortation to submit to every human institution, and now he broadens it out to the institution of marriage. And then, of course, right after that, likewise, be subject. Now, this is interesting because this is the very same word that we read about last week, the Greek word hypotasso. It's the same word, but here it is a passive participle. Now, what does that mean? It simply means that it it functions like a verb and an adjective. So the command has been given, and now he enumerates a little bit further, and he says, likewise, just as I have applied in the master-slave relationship, you know, the, the relationship with the emperor and the governors, likewise, be subject to your husbands. Now, again... Just that very word, be subject, or if you prefer, be submissive. It's repugnant in our society. The connotations that come with it turn people off. But they don't really understand biblical submission. Most of the the people, you know, in in the world who who think about submission... um, 
I'll be blunt with you. They just have a sinful, rebellious heart. In marriage, submission is often equated with slavery or being a, a doormat to the man. To many, the biblical roles of husband and wife are considered obsolete. They, they, they just don't apply anymore. I want to challenge you, if, if you haven't been here for this, this past year, we were in the book of Ephesians, and if you would like a, a fuller treatment of this, I would say go back to the Ephesians 5 message that was preached this year. You can go to our website. You can look it up under the media tab. And you can also go back to 2016. There's a message there that we delivered on biblical manhood and woman called Different by Design. And that was like a six-week series. So if you want to dig a little bit deeper, you could do that. But the scripture here says, be subject to your own husband's. Never in scripture are wives commanded to submit to the husbands of other wives. For that matter, women are not commanded to submit to men in general. She is only commanded to submit to her own husband. And a wife's willing submission to her husband may not be politically correct, but it is, it is scripturally correct. If you look again at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, there is a popular but erroneous teaching that is out there today. And that teaching basically says that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul actually argues that husbands should be submissive to their wives, even as wives are submissive to them. But I want to tell you that nowhere in the New Testament are husbands commanded to submit to their wives. You would have to redefine submission and headship in order to get that meaning. And you can't do that. The pattern of submission to authority in Scripture is never reversed. Let me illustrate that for you. The father never submits to the son. The church never submits, excuse me, Christ never submits to the church. The emperor is never told to submit to his subjects. Masters are never ordered to submit to their slaves. Parents are never instructed to submit to their children. And shepherds are never instructed or commanded to submit to the sheep. It's never reversed. And you would think that if Paul then meant that this mutual submission that he talks about there in, 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 in Ephesians 5 applied the other way around, you'd find some place in Scripture where it would be reversed. And you don't. So let's continue as we look there at verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that 
if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter here is referring to a divided home, a mixed marriage, if you will. Apparently, as the gospel was being proclaimed, people were getting saved, including wives, including husbands too, but here Paul is addressing wives. And and so the wife has come to faith in Christ, but the husband still has not. And Paul is appealing to her in a similar way that he does to the slaves. And this can be a very, very difficult situation, just as it would be if you were a slave. Some of you are in that position right now. I've talked with, with some of you about how hard it is being at home, being married to someone who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't understand your faith and your love for Jesus and why you want to be connected with his body. It's hard. And you pray and you're on your knees constantly asking God to do a work in your husband. Now, I I understand it can work the other way too. But Paul is talking about submission and he's talking specifically here to wives and how they have an opportunity to make a difference in their home, in their husband's life, and in their children's lives. And ladies, I think you know this already. Uh, You probably already figured this out. But you will never get your husband to change by nagging him. Okay? That doesn't work. You know it doesn't work. So stop doing it. Okay? You're not going to cajole him. You're not going to argue him. You're not going to convince him. Um, Your husband will never come to church, let alone Christ, using the baseball bat approach. It just won't happen. You'll never get him to become the spiritual leader of your home by harping on him to step it up. But you can win him over with your conduct. You can. In choosing to submit to her husband, she does so as unto the Lord. Because sometimes we husbands are not very lovable. And if it was based on how lovable we were, our wives would never do it. So we choose, the ladies, the wives, they they have to choose to do it as unto the Lord, as they're serving him and not us. She is serving the Lord Christ first and foremost, and she knows that there is a reward that is coming one day. She does it to please the Lord. She's mindful of him, conscious of him. And this enables her to go above and beyond. Her life becomes so attractive and so compelling that it overpowers any resistance her husband has to the gospel. You can't argue against someone who is loving and kind and acts like a servant This goes back to chapter 2 where Peter says that by doing good, we silence the ignorance of foolish people. You want to silence your ignorant husband? Do good. Obey the scriptures. God will use that. It's a lot better approach than nagging. 
Well, Peter goes on to give uh, some practical advice to wives in, in this situation. Uh, look at with me at verse three. It says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, I I prefer the New American Standards rendering of verse 3 for one reason, and maybe you can pick it out. It's not going to be up on screen, but just listen to it. It says, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses. Did you catch the difference? That translation adds the word merely in there because that's the sense in which Peter is communicating. He is not saying that women can't do their hair they can't wear a fine dress, you know, or even wear makeup. But what he is saying here is don't focus on the external. Focus on the internal. Focus on what matters. And what matters to God is that hidden person of the heart. What matters to God is our character. It's not what's on the outside that counts. It's what on, what's on the inside. I, I remember thinking about... Um, when the nation of Israel, when Samuel was to anoint uh, a new king after Saul, and, uh, and, and these guys are paraded in front of him, and he sees one of them, I think it's Elib, um, he, he, he looked like a, a big guy, a tall guy, and he said, surely this must be the Lord's anointed. And you know what, what God said to Samuel? He said this, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Proverbs 31.30, love this. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Ladies, there's nothing more beautiful or more attractive than a woman of godly character. I know there's a lot of emphasis placed on the external, and I know know guys, because I'm a guy, and we are predominantly stimulated by sight. And, and so there's a lot of emphasis on that, but, but I can tell you that even though I recognize that truth in my own life, the things that I value, the things that I cherish most about my wife is not her physical beauty. It's who she is. It's her heart. It's her character. And that draws me like nothing else. And then, of course, there's just the reality, you know. The, 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 the grass withers. The flower fades. All flesh is like grass. There's only so much we can do to maintain the appearance of our youth because we're all going to get older. We're all going to get the wrinkles. You know, we're going to put on the extra pounds. Do you really want to be loved because you're beautiful or for who you are? That's what the scripture is getting at here. 
And that is something, the hidden person of the heart, the character, that's something that will never fade away. A gentle and quiet spirit. I know when you first hear that, you think, does that mean a wife can't speak? Well, it really doesn't have anything to do with that. But it means that when you, when you do, you communicate your thoughts and ideas and concerns with humility and respect. It's altogether appropriate for a wife to share her thoughts, her wisdom, her ideas with her husband. And if her husband's got any sense, he's going to listen. But even if he doesn't, Scripture doesn't give you an out. It, God doesn't say, well, if he doesn't, then you're off the hook. You don't, you don't have to be submissive. No, it doesn't say that. You continue to obey knowing that it's the Lord Christ that you're really serving. Let's look at verse 5. Now, this one's, this one's really good. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Submission was like wearing jewelry. It was a way that they adorned themselves. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Remember what Peter said in, in chapter two? If we are to suffer Make sure that you're suffering for doing good and not something stupid, not something wrong or evil. We should entrust ourselves to God who judges justly. The goal of marriage, like I said, is not for personal happiness. It's for our holiness, God wants to do something in us to change us, to conform us to the image of his son. And we don't become conformed to the image of his son by running from the things that make us more like him. And in some cases, that's suffering. Some cases, that's living in a difficult situation, obeying a crazy law even. Marriage was instituted to reflect the relationship of Christ and his church. Here, Peter is encouraging Christian wives not to succumb to any fear. Rather, they're to keep trusting God in their circumstances, circumstances especially, especially when it's difficult. Now, I want to give you some cautions, though. All right? Just four cautions. Number one, ladies, remember your husband is not Jesus. Okay? You, you, you have to remember that, number one, so that you don't have a higher expectation for him than you ought. You, you just have to realize, you know, he's not Jesus. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to fail. He is a sinner saved by grace just like you are. Second, you never follow your husband into sin. Your husband asks you to do that? No. Because there is a greater command that you submit to, and that's your allegiance to God, who says, be holy, because I am holy. And then third, don't be afraid to let him fail. Sometimes that's the only way we learn, right guys? We make the mistakes, we get the bumps and bruises, and, and we learn from it. And when we do fail, this is the fourth thing, avoid saying, I told you so, <laughs> That doesn't help. 
Those are just a few cautions that I have for you. If you look at verse 7, you'll, you'll notice that Peter now turns his attention to husbands. <laughs> equal, equal time here. Verse 7, he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, that word likewise is, is important. It, it indicates that after talking about the wives, he now turns to the husbands and indicates that they too should have a similar attitude of love and respect for their wives as the wives have for their husbands. Notice it says, we are to live with our wives. I, I, I thought I could preach a sermon just on that. Because there are a lot of husbands who have chosen not to live with their wives. They've chosen to live with someone else. Somewhere else. And we need to understand first and foremost that when we enter into the covenant of marriage, it is a covenant. It is a commitment for life. For richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. Husbands, live with your wives. But it says, live with your wives in an understanding way. That is, we should seek to understand and to be considerate of our wives' spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. We are to honor them as the weaker vessel, which refers to physical or emotional weakness. It, it is not intellectual, spiritual, or moral inferiority. And why do we honor our wives? Well, Peter gives us a couple, there's a lot of reasons, but Peter gives us two here. He says, because they are co-heirs of the grace of life with us. I want to unpack that a little bit more in just a bit here, but he goes on to say that so that your prayers will not be hindered. So what he's saying there is failure to live with our wives in an understanding way and to give them the, the honor that they deserve actually hinders our own relationship with God. It's kind of like when, you know, we're told by John, you know, if, if you can't love whom you do see, how can you love God whom you don't see? Our human relationships is in many ways a proving ground of our love for the Lord. And, and in this case here, the way we treat our wives is an indication of where our heart is with God. You can't say, hey, I love Jesus, but you know, I despise my wife. I love Jesus, I'm, I'm growing in everything else, but yeah, nah, submission, can't do it. Remember, guys, what... Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now you take that statement, as 
Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He went all the way to the cross for her. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was scourged. He was crucified for us. That's how much he loved us. And we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We have to be willing to lay down our lives for our wives. We have to be willing to make sacrifices. And it may not be a physical death. It could be. But it could be we give up playing golf. It could be we don't take the promotion that we were thinking about taking. It could be all sorts of things. We just have to understand that God calls us to sacrifice for the wife of our youth with the understanding that the ultimate purpose of our marital relationship is to reflect Christ to the world. So as I wrap up this message this morning, I, I thought this might be helpful. As I was thinking about this particular text, I realized we're 2,000 years removed. And so sometimes we can fail to appreciate what we read. And, and what we may fail to appreciate here is that in just addressing Christian wives in this letter, Peter is demonstrating great respect for women. In his day, women were considered inferior to men. They had little to no education. Peter is actually doing something very radical here. He is speaking directly to them. Right? Wives, submit. He is speaking directly to these Christian women who are married and he assures them of their worth and dignity and calling in Christ. There, he says, your worth does not come from your physical appearance. You don't have to dress to impress. Rather, you've been chosen by God to be recipients of God's grace. He places them on equal footing with men. This was a revolutionary idea for Jews, for Romans, and for Greeks. And, because, and the reason why is because all of those cultures kept women down. They did not see them as equals. Peter did. Paul did. But here's where it gets you know, even more exciting. Peter doesn't just speak to these married women. Now, that would, that's good. That's great. But he takes it a step further. And he writes or speaks to and addresses their husbands publicly. In this letter, for all to hear. And, and, and he says, you are to live with your wives in an understanding way and honor them as co-heirs of the grace of life. Do you see it? Can you imagine what it must have felt like to be a woman then? To hear these words. Men, uh, you know, our wives, as, as I have said already, you know, wives are to submit, 
to their husbands. Husbands are to love their wives and honor their wives. And as they grow closer together, they begin to reflect the relationship of Christ and the church. And they actually become partners in the gospel. And I can tell you, somebody who's now been married 27 years to a godly woman, what joy there is in the partnership that I have with her in the gospel, that we are serving Christ together. We each are gifted in different ways, but what a joy that is. Men, our wives are not here to cater to our every whim. Let me be clear on that. But neither are they here to tell us we're going to die. I mean, we know we all are at some point in time. But they are here to honor and affirm our leadership in the home and help carry it out through the gifts that God has given them. And ladies, your husband has the primary responsibility to lead in your home through Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision. I don't know where every husband is this morning, but I do know that God's word is true. And I do know that your life can influence your husband towards Christ if he doesn't know him yet, or towards the fulfillment of his calling in your home to be the spiritual leader that God designed him to be. I know I've given you a lot to chew on these last two weeks, but I pray that the Holy Spirit will take it and um, will use it to transform us, both men and women, that we might be more like Jesus. I pray that our marriages will always glorify God and draw people to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to work you. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is truth. And Lord, you didn't give us your word just to inform us, to fill our heads with knowledge, but, but to transform us, to make us more like Jesus. And I pray that we would not short-circuit what you want to do in our hearts and our minds. Father, I repent of the times in which I have stiff-armed you. When I have read things that I didn't like and was slow to obey, Lord, forgive me for that. Lord, I pray that you would do a deep work in all the men that are here this morning, that if they do not know you, that they would come to know you, that they would bend and bow their knee to you, Lord and that they would be the spiritual leaders of their home. And for those that are not yet married, Lord, I pray that they would continue to grow in godliness, that they would be the men that you've called them to be. And for the ladies here, Lord, I just pray that they would pursue you with all their heart, whether they be married or unmarried. Lord, I just pray that you would conform all of us to the image of your son, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.